0: The prophet Isaiah asked rhetorically, who has believed the report of the Lord? Heavenly Father, we ask you to wake up the global church, to understand the times, and to believe the Lord's report. We want to warn church leaders not to be found resisting the regathering of Israel, which God himself has been orchestrating. In Jeremiah 32, the Lord stated, I will faithfully plant them in this land with all my heart and with all my soul. For thus says the Lord, just as in the past, I brought great disaster on this people. So I will bring on them all the good that I have promised them. Yet, despite the clear report of the Lord, a new narrative is being pushed, even within churches, that the state of Israel has nothing to do with the Bible. Let's resist this end-time deception. The Jerusalem Channel is made with the support of you, our viewers. Thank you for watching. Hello, I'm Christine Dark. Who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? God asked that question in Isaiah 53. In a time of many false narratives going around the world, we want to say, we will believe the report of the Lord. First today, I want to share some quotes from a prophetic word that was given by one of my mentors in prayer, Lance Lambert of Blessed Memory. In 1986, at Mount Carmel, Lance prophesied, there will come upon the world a time of unparalleled upheaval and turmoil. But do not fear. It is I, the Lord, who am shaking all these things. Do not fear when these things begin to happen. For I, the Lord, disclose these things to you before they commence so that you might be prepared. And hear this. Many Bible scholars are pointing out that Russia will turn against Israel and be part of the confederation that invades Israel, as Ezekiel 38, in fact, teaches. But Lance Lambert's prophecy continued, do not fear the power of the Kremlin nor the power of the Islamic revolution, for I, the Lord, plan to break both of them through Israel. I will bring down their pride and their arrogance and shatter them because they have blasphemed my name. In that day, the Lord said, I will avenge the blood of all the martyrs and of the innocent ones whom they have slaughtered. I will surely do this thing, for they have thought that there was no one to judge them. But I have seen their ways and I have heard the cries of the oppressed and of the persecuted. And I will break their power and make an end of them. Therefore, be prepared for when all of this comes to pass to you will be given the last great opportunity to preach the gospel freely to all nations. And above all, God said in that prophetic word, I call you to be intercessors. Amen. So now here's a question that we need to address. Is the modern state of Israel the same as biblical Israel? The Bible teaches that modern Israel is a continuation of biblical Israel. And this is not a personal opinion, and it's not a political opinion. As anti-Semitism and Jew hatred have shockingly increased, there is also an increasing narrative being pushed, even in the churches, that the modern state of Israel is not biblical Israel. But that is a deceptive lie crafted by enemies of the Jewish people to try to delegitimize them. If we don't know this word from cover to cover, we can be duped. God not only promised to provide for the chosen descendants of Abraham, he swore to bring them back to their own promised land in the fullness of time. Despite their failings, God swore that he would never forsake the Jewish people. And in 1948, when the new nation was born, varying numbers of Orthodox Jews were repulsed by a Jewish state emerging on the world stage without the government of Messiah. So this sentiment still persists today, but is diminishing. Since the barbaric Hamas attacks against Israelis on a Sabbath, October the seventh, more and more Orthodox Jews are recognizing the need of the state of Israel. And they're even signing up for the Israel Defense Forces. These religious Jews are recognizing that God has indeed created modern Israel as the only safe haven for the Jews to flee. Against all odds, after 2,000 years of exile, the Jewish people have once again miraculously returned to the land of Israel as the biblical prophets foretold. But throughout church history, the restoration of the Jews to their land seemed so improbable that the majority of professing Christians, unfortunately, through unbelief, sinned against God by not believing in a literal fulfillment of His many biblical promises to restore Israel. Therefore, many Christians misinterpreted the Bible prophecies about Israel's return, and instead they wrongfully claimed those promises for the church. However, some believers in the 19th century did start to take literally the promise of Jewish return. Thus, Christian or biblical Zionism was birthed at the same time or even earlier than modern Jewish aspirations that were promoted by Theodore Herzl. Many Christians reject modern Israel because these Christians have made the mistake of trying to put the proverbial cart before the horse. But an Israeli national acceptance of Jesus as Messiah is not the biblical prerequisite for God's initial plans to bring the Jewish people home. In fact, the Hebrew prophets prophesied that the Jewish people will turn to the Messiah only after becoming reestablished in the land of Israel. For example, in Ezekiel 36, God stated, for I will take you from the nations and I will gather you from all lands and bring you into your own land. And then the passage continues, Then, after I have regathered you, then I will sprinkle clean water on you. Moreover, God says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. And then, at that time, I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. So let's note the order of events here. First, God says there will be the physical restoration of the Jewish people to the land. And this has been occurring in various waves of immigration from the 1880s until the present time. Then afterwards, their spiritual regeneration will follow. We witnessed the spiritual paradigm shift in progress when one of the Israeli hostages captured by Hamas was rescued. The captive's name was Orly, meaning my light. And her mother's prayers for her return were like something right out of Bible days. To the surprise of even secular Israelis, The petitioning mother was not angry at God, but she cried out, Oh, God, I love you. Just as King David said, I love you, Lord, in Psalm 18.1. And the mother prayed fervently with her family, asking for the Torah scroll to be marched through her home and through Orly's bedroom. And many such prayers were said, asking for kapara, meaning atonement covering for her daughter. I saw a secular member of the Israeli parliament saying that she was jealous of this mother's faith, and there have been many other such examples of the Israeli nation recently turning back to God as a result of the horrific atrocities perpetuated against them by the terrorist group Hamas. Regathered Israel will as a nation turn in faith toward the promised Messiah, so let's not lose sight of the fact that the Bible predicts Israel's redemption in the last days will be in progressive stages. Ezekiel chapter 37 contains the stark vision of a valley of dry bones, which come back to life in stages. And God told the prophet Ezekiel, these bones are the whole house of Israel. The vision of the dry bones represents Israel in exile without hope. After modern Israel's birth in 1948, an estimated 1 million European Jewish survivors of the Holocaust returned, followed by 800,000 Jewish people from Arab countries who were kicked out of their homes. In my lifetime, 1.5 million Jewish people fled the former Soviet Union to Israel, and I've also been an eyewitness to waves of Ethiopian Jews coming home. And now, after the Hamas atrocities and because of the current epidemic of Jew hatred, reminiscent of the 1930s in Nazi Germany, more Jews are returning. In Ezekiel 37, they are restored, but not regenerated until the Ruach, the Holy Spirit, breathes life into their bodies. Whether people want to recognize it or not, the Bible is simply playing out before our eyes. Unbelievably, Jews on college campuses are being hounded and taunted simply for being Jews. But the Bible predicted Israel would return to her land because of persecution. That's why God is allowing it. Otherwise, the Jews might be too comfortable to stay in the nations. God promised in Jeremiah 16:15, I will restore them to their own land, which I gave to their father's. And in the next verse, Jeremiah sixteen sixteen, he said, he will use fishermen and hunters to pursue his people in order for them to return. Indeed, since the birth of modern Zionism, the primary motivation for their return to the land of Israel has been persecution. In the last 100 years, pogroms in Russia and Poland, the Nazi genocide, Arab hatred and Soviet repression, and more recently, in an alarming rise in European and North American anti-Semitism, all these have driven Jewish people back to their homeland. And the Messiah, we know him as Jesus, Yeshua, will deliver Israel from her enemies as prophesied in Zechariah 14:3, where he says, Then the Lord will go out to fight against those nations as he has fought in times past. So all the anti-Semitic naysayers are working overtime, spinning their anti-biblical narratives. So we need to ask, do the facts of history, particularly the emergence of a Jewish homeland, line up significantly with the predictions of the Hebrew Bible? Well, I'm here to declare to you that since Israel has returned in unbelief in stages, Through persecution, the establishment of the modern state of Israel does, in fact, fulfill the predictions of the ancient Hebrew prophets. And therefore, the stage is set for events outlined in the book of Revelation. Furthermore, the Jews' return to Zion after 2,000 years is powerful evidence of the truth and validity of Scripture. I will believe this report of the Lord... And it's important that I believe in the faithfulness of God as a covenant keeper. You see, as the book of Hebrews states in the New Testament, it's impossible for God to lie. And we who have fled to him to take hold of the hope offered to us in the gospel can be greatly encouraged that God is the God of history and he keeps his promises. So what impact should current events have on the lives of believers in every nation? Well, at the very least, we should do what Psalm 122 in verse 6 commands. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. The churches should be watching and teaching Bible prophecy as it continues to unfold. I've told you about the progressive history of the return of the Jews as outlined in Ezekiel 36 and 37, but it doesn't end there. The invasion of Israel... Is described in the next chapters, Ezekiel 38 and 39, and it's surely going to happen. And the nations mentioned are already in alignment and becoming increasingly in league with one another. The invasion of regathered Israel is ultimately rooted in anti Semitism and a desire to gain Israel's wealth and position. This is an issue that is not going away until what Ezekiel saw is fulfilled. So look at the headlines. Those are the very nations that are posturing against Israel today. Russia, Iran, Turkey. They're all mentioned by their geographical locations in Ezekiel chapter 38. What we constantly hear on the media and in the ungodly United Nations is that little tiny Israel, which is surrounded by a gigantic landmass of Muslim nations, little tiny Israel is the oppressor and the aggressor even though the charters of the terrorist regimes call for the elimination of the only democracy in the region. And mainstream media never seem to emphasize these things because that would dispel the narrative the world wants you to think, that only if tiny Israel just gave up a little more territory, somehow the world would live in peace. But this map is an inconvenient truth which dispels a narrative that Israel is the big, bad wolf of the Middle East. Sadly, there is so much misinformation and ignorance about this, even in the churches when it comes to Bible prophecy. Yet Israel is clearly surrounded and outnumbered. Well, when we go back to 1948, when the modern state of Israel was born, the world was on the side of Israel then because of the Holocaust and the world felt responsible that Israel would have a homeland. But then Yasser Arafat came along, and he was schooled by the former Soviet Union, who were masters of propaganda. And they advised Arafat that you're not going to beat these people militarily. Instead, you're going to have to shift world opinion against Israel so that the Jews will begin to forfeit their land in exchange for so-called peace negotiations. And Arafat was advised to use the two-state solution for what was really Hitler's final solution, the same way Gaza has been using that territory as a launching pad for rockets against the Jews. And this is what's happening. The global community is putting pressure on Israel to give up their biblical heartland, Judea and Samaria, which the world calls the West Bank, even though the Bible calls it Judea and Samaria. And so the propaganda war and the narrative war have created great myths in the Middle East, continually being pushed by the media and politicians. And even many academics have swallowed the lie that Israel stole the land that God gave them, that they stole it from a thriving indigenous civilization. But don't forget, the author Mark Twain visited the Holy Land in the 1880s and he documented that it was a desolate wasteland. But if Israel's enemies can convince the world of a different narrative, then the world will pressure Israel literally to create a terrorist state within their own borders. So this is just a massive narrative war, and this is what most Americans and Brits are being hit with, and it's being compounded by the fact that in the churches, The pastors are not teaching on Bible prophecy. So therefore, this propaganda war is being successful. Even now, there's a concerted agenda targeting Christians to somehow try to change our minds on this biblical issue to make us supporters not of Israel, not of God, but of the Islamic narrative. A friend made a post on Facebook the other day stating, So I have a friend who is telling me today that Yeshua, Jesus, was not a Jew, that he was not Jewish. She stated that her acquaintance is furious because he said that we are wrong to say Jesus was Jewish. So please understand that biblical doctrine and theology are being targeted in a propaganda campaign. But sadly, most pastors and churches are not teaching on prophecy anyway And so Christians are vulnerable. Many haven't studied and built a strong theological foundation for the vital, important issue to be able to stand with the apple of God's eye, Israel, when Israel is viciously attacked. We also need to know that the name Palestine comes from Israel's enemies in the Bible called the Philistines. And so the name Palestine was a term that the Roman emperor Hadrian coined in the second century, to taunt the Jews and to change the narrative, trying to cover up the fact that the Holy Land, in God's eyes, is called the land of Israel, as stated in Matthew 2.20. But now Israel's enemies are calling it Palestine, after Israel's ancient enemies. And so when we use the term Palestine, we have to be mindful that it's potentially a politically loaded word. To this day, instead of saying Israel, many British people often say Palestine when they're referring to the region simply because after the Ottomans were defeated, the British were given a mandate to rule the territory that was known as Greater Syria or known as Palestine. And so it's hard for British people to update their vocabulary and to say the land of Israel. But the land of Israel is how God, in fact, views it. We believers must always be mindful that a two-state solution amounts to a potential terrorist state within the borders of the land of Israel that would accomplish the jihadist ultimate goal of the final solution to eliminate the Jews altogether. We believers, in the meantime, must not allow the narrative to shift in which modern Israel is somehow transformed from being a David into a Goliath. Well, Bible facts are stubborn things. And so we are involved in a narrative war that denies God's faithfulness to his ancient people. Personally, I'm greatly encouraged that God is going to keep his word to the Jewish people. And that also means he has the character to keep his word to you and me. We can trust him as a covenant-keeping, promise-keeping God that we are saved by the blood of the Lamb. Jesus, Yeshua is his Hebrew name, amen. Well, we haven't forgotten that God also made promises to Abraham that he will bless Ishmael and he will bless the Arabs. And I believe with all my heart that this is coming to pass. The Arabs will not just be blessed with their fabulous oral wealth, but with salvation, knowing the savior personally. And this is happening. God is sovereign and he's moving in dreams and visions through the Arab world, saving as many as can be saved. And although the Persians are not Arabs, they lead in financing global terrorism. And despite the jihadist regime in Iran, that nation has one of the fastest growing revivals of Christian faith in the world today. In the meantime, God is not a pacifist God. It's true in the New Testament dispensation, we fight spiritual battles, but because God gave a physical piece of land to the Jewish people, we believers wage spiritual warfare to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Concerning a just war, the theologian Thomas Aquinas wrote that war should be the last resort, but he wrote that there are definite just causes for war. God in the Hebrew Bible is known as the Lord of hosts, the God of armies, Adonai Sabaoth. God's title, Adonai Sabaoth, the Lord of armies, is used 232 times in the Bible. I also need to point out that the song of Moses, calling God a man of war, is sung in the New Testament. In Revelation fifteen three, it says, And they sang the song of Moses, God's servant, and the song of the Lamb, Great and marvelous are your deeds, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, King of the nations. So believers are not ashamed of the fact that God is a man of war and he stands up to prevent his people from being annihilated. And so we're watching a narrative war, a war that's pouring onto our streets against Israel. And humanly speaking, that's very stressful One of my great heroes of the faith, the Welsh intercessor, Reese Howells, died in his early 70s due to his burdened lifestyle of intercession, fasting, and praying. So as an intercessor, a mother, and a grandmother, the burden of the Lord these days is very heavy. I believe to counter this lifestyle of an intercessor, it's important to take time to meditate and appropriate divine healing appropriating the promises of God like Abraham did. The Bible says Abraham did not consider the mortality of his own body, but he made God's promises his priority and his reality. And in this regard, Andrew Murray's Divine Healing is one of my go-to resources. And I'm happy to tell you that whenever you want to read it and to review this doctrine of divine healing, his book is available free on the internet. Just search for Andrew Murray and divine healing and you will find it chapter by chapter. He commented that when God promised to give elderly Abraham a son, the patriarch would never have been able to believe the promise if he had considered his own body already aged and worn out or if he had considered the elderly body of his wife, Sarah. However, Abraham chose to focus upon God who guaranteed the fulfillment of His promise. Some believers are hesitant to take the promise in James 5 about the prayer of faith saving the sick. But we have to learn not to consider the condition of our body, but rather to be occupied with the reliability of the Lord's Word. The first thing to learn is to cease to be anxious about the state of our body. If we've trusted our bodies to the Lord in faith, we must believe that He has taken the responsibility. And if we don't see an immediate, rapid improvement, and on the contrary, symptoms become more serious, remember that we have entered on a path of faith, and therefore we should cling all the more to the living God. The commandment of Jesus in Matthew 6, 25, be not anxious for your body, appears in a new light to us. When God called Abraham not to consider his own body, it was because he might learn to see only God and see only God's promise. Sustained by his faith, Abraham gave glory to God, convinced that God would fulfill his promise for his son. So let's walk in the steps of Abraham. Let's learn from him and not be robbed of God's promises through doubt and unbelief. Whenever we consider the state of our bodies, this gives rise to doubts and despair. But if we insist instead on clinging to the sure promises of God and being occupied with him alone, then faith will arise, which glorifies God. I've decided to believe the report of the Lord that by the stripes of Jesus, I am healed. We invite you also to put your trust in the Lord for both healing and salvation. He is the world's only Savior. Amen. Well, in conclusion today, there's so much information out there continually competing for our attention, but the Bible has been bequeathed to us as our accurate roadmap for healing and for understanding turbulent times in which we are living. If you'd like to be a watchman on the walls with us, we invite you to stay in touch on social media and also to receive our free weekly updates at our website, exploits.tv. You can download our free Jerusalem Channel app through your favorite app store to see our videos on your mobile phones or tablets anytime. And please don't forget to check out my archive of articles on Israel and prophecy at my Substack page. Daniel eleven thirty two declares that the people who know their God will be strong and take action, will do exploits. So until next time, always contending earnestly for the faith and praying for the peace of Jerusalem. I'm Christine Darick. Shalom and Maranatha. Fast-changing developments in Israel in the Middle East keep us busy interpreting the spiritual significance of today's headlines. The Jerusalem Channel is taking advantage of the Substack website to post developments that you need to know about. Substack is a new kind of internet outlet for in depth reporting and analysis that's completely uncensored and allows me to share insightful articles at all times of day and night. This is Christian journalism as it should be. We invite you to check out my Substack pages and find an understanding of Israel and Bible prophecy from my perspective. Just go to christenedarg.substack.com and be a part of our community. You'll also find an archive of all my articles. That's christinedarg.substack.com. Let's share what God is doing in these last days together.